Grab your Bibles. Um, we are in Ephesians chapter 5. Um, just as a quick aside, if you need a Bible, we've got those little white ones on the edge of the rows, maybe underneath every two or three seats. Feel free to take one of those. We would not consider that stealing. Okay, we consider that give, uh, giving. And so if you need a good Bible, um, feel free to have that. It's yours. <clears throat> okay, Ephesians chapter 5. Um, here's one of my fears as we travel through Ephesians, especially as we spend several months in the book of Ephesians. It's really easy to get lost in the middle of the woods. You know what I'm saying? Like it's really easy if you find yourself in the middle of a forest and you're walking inside of it. It's really easy to get lost. And so it's really important sometimes to take a panoramic shot and to take an over kind of the top view so you know where you are in the book. So I, I just want to keep reminding you of a few things about Ephesians um, as we kind of get into specific issues that Paul is dealing with. And, okay, now here's some, some big picture things here. And we've talked about this several times. That the reason we chose to, to preach through the book of Ephesians, okay, there, was, there was a reason behind that. And here was the first one is that we felt like for for like the the length of the book right i mean like for for the breadth of the book it packs the most powerful punch i guess the most influential letter pound for pound in the bible i mean it, it covers all these massive areas highlights the gospel displays the gospel shows the gospel defines the gospel it does all of these great things for us it has 154 verses in it you can read it in 15 minutes six chapters right it's, it's a small punch but it's a really powerful one and so i want to just keep encouraging you it would be a tragedy for us to spend this time in the book of ephesians and at the end of the day for you not to know the book of ephesians right and so i just want to keep encouraging you to make sure you're living in it with us, that you're memorizing it, right? That you're memorizing the key stuff out of it. You might even try to take on memorizing the whole book. Sounds crazy, huh? It's doable, I promise. And so, so just think about ways that you can live in it. Think about it. Um, meditate on it. Memorize it. Get it in your family. That is, it would be a great thing for you to find Paul's prayers in Ephesians and to pray those things over your family on a continual basis. That would be a great thing for you. So live in the book with us. That's the first thing. Okay, so second thing is, is the book of Ephesians. One of the reasons we picked it is because it counteracts a superficial kind of knowledge of the gospel. It counteracts that. And we live in a superficial age when it comes to the gospel, right? And so this is how most people think about the gospel. The gospel is for those people who do not know God. Okay, now at best, that is a half-truth. It is true that the gospel is for people that don't know God, but the gospel is also for those that know God. Paul is writing to people who know God. He's writing to a church, right? Like this would be like his letter to a church like us. And he spends three chapters saying, this is the gospel. And if you don't know the gospel and live in the gospel as a believer, then you'll never make progress forward. You won't do it right? Okay, so, so I love this because it counteracts the superficial knowledge of the gospel. One of my favorite um, verses in Ephesians is Ephesians 3, 8. And in it, Paul describes the gospel as the unsearchable riches of Christ. Okay, so here's the picture Paul paints with the gospel. That if you picture the gospel kind of in this treasure chest, you set the chest up on the table, you open it up and you start to pull gold out of it. And, and you notice that as you start to pull gold out of it, that something like replenishes it from the bottom, right? And, and then you stick your hand through the chest and you realize it's a bottomless chest. You can pull all the gold you want out and it keeps coming. This is the gospel for every one of us in here. For every believer, it is the unsearchable riches of Christ. It is not just how we enter the kingdom of God. It's how we make progress in it. It's not just for our salvation, but our continual transformation. In three chapters, 
Paul defines the gospel in the first three chapters. He says, this is what it is. This is what it means. This is the gospel. And he gives one command to you and I in three chapters. Y'all remember it? Remember the gospel. Ephesians 2, 11 and 12. That's the one command in the first three chapters he defines the gospel for us. Okay, so here's what we've continually said. There is nothing more important in your life to know than the gospel. Nothing more important. And there is nothing more important for you to remind yourself on a daily basis than the gospel. That is the most important things you can do in your life. Okay, now with that, and when you get to chapter 4, verse 1, look at chapter 4, verse 1. Paul moves from this is what the gospel is to this is how the gospel moves through your life. So now it's the gospel defined, chapters 1 through 3. Chapters 4 through 6, this is the gospel displayed. And you see it right off the bat in in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Walk is the way you live. It's the the whole picture of your life. And he's saying the whole picture of your life, by the gospel, it's different. The gospel creates a new gate, a new walk in your life. The gospel is displayed through a thousand different ways, and it's different. It's distinct than from what you were. This is what the gospel does. It has this effect on people, right? The gospel changes people. You can't run into the gospel and be the same. You can't do it. And so the gospel creates this new gate. Okay, now when you start moving through chapter 4 and 5, you see him emphasizing this idea of walk, that the gospel is displayed in your life. It changes things about your life. Look at 417. See 417? He's going to say it again. You don't walk like the Gentiles. You've got to be different than the Gentiles, right? And then he gives four contrasting images of what it means, all these contrasting images of what it means to walk worthy of the gospel. Okay, so you see the first one in 422. You see that where he says, you put off these things and you put on these things. To walk worthy of the gospel means you walk differently. These things are now off. These things are now on. This is the gospel life, right? Okay, you keep coming down to uh, Ephesians um, 5 verse 8. And he's going to say, okay, so this is what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. You walk as light. You were darkness, now you're light, so walk as light. Walk in the gospel. Okay, you keep coming down to verse 15, and he says, okay, now now this is what a gospel gate, a gospel walk looks like. When you walk in the gospel, you're not a fool anymore. You walk wisely. This contrasting image of of fools to, to wisdom. He says, when you walk in the gospel, this is what a walk worthy of the gospel looks like. You walk in wisdom. Wise people know that they've got a limited time on this planet and they take advantage of it. They know what the will of the Lord is and they do it, right? This is wisdom. Okay, we talked about those last week. Okay, now he gets into verse 15. This is the last contrasting images, image he's going to use for us. And it's by far the strangest, right? And I say this all the time to us, but Christians have no idea how weird Christians are. We're weird, right? I mean, you believe in a virgin birth. That's weird, right? You believe a guy rose from the dead, lives in hell. That's weird, right? Okay, so, so and this is going to fit right in line with this. Look at what it says in verse 18. Verse 18 goes like this. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauch- debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so we're going to have to do some work here. Here's what he's saying. He's saying when you walk worthy of of the calling to which you've been called, when you're walking in the gospel, you're going to be walking in the Spirit. That's what he's saying here. Okay, now we've got to do all sorts of work here because there is all sorts of confusion around this issue, right? 
And if you've been in church world for now, you know that people are divided over that. I mean, it's all sorts of controversy on, on these sorts of things. So l- let me start off with just some basic doctrine to kind of catch us up here, right? So we're going to start with some simple but really profound stuff right here. It starts with the Trinity, God. God, okay? He exists in three persons, distinct. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's one of them, right? He's in there. Okay, so you've got three distinct persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three dis- they're, they're distinct. They're personal. They have a will. They act. They do. Okay, so they're distinct persons. Okay, now here's the next statement that describes the Trinity, that describes God. Each one of those distinct persons are fully God. So three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Bible says every one of those three persons are God, fully God. God the Father's God, God the Son's God, and God the Spirit's God. All three distinct, yet each one is God. Now here's the clincher, right? How do you explain this? But there's one God. You say, why do you believe all that? Because the Bible teaches all that. That's why I believe it, right? That, that there's three distinct persons, each one fully God, and, and there's one God. Okay, so, so here's what I want to get at you, though. Is that means the Holy Spirit is God, right? I mean, we've got the Holy Spirit as a part of the Trinity. Now, for most of us, he is either an abused part of the Trinity or a neglected part of the Trinity. These are the ranges that most people live in when it comes to the Spirit, right? Okay, so, so let's kind of nail down in, or drill down into this. When you think of the abuse and the neglect, most people, um, okay, we'll take the abuse side first. This side, this extreme over here, they treat the Holy Spirit like the crazy uncle, right? If you've got a crazy uncle and he shows up at the reunion, you know that chaos follows. You ever had one of those guys show up? That when he shows up, everything breaks down, right? I mean, you might as well hand out pogo sticks and palm trees and, and flip in like the jazzercise tape at the same time, right? It gets crazy when that guy shows up. Okay, so this is the abuse side of it. Then on this side of it, you've got the neglect side. It's equally as unbiblical. It's the neglect side. These people are so afraid of the Holy Spirit, they don't even get to know him right? I mean, they set up the law enforcement at the front door, right? I mean, they barricade it off. I mean, if somebody gets a hand in the air, we've just gone charismatic, right? I mean, this, this is what happens on this side. Okay, so you've got abuse over there. And listen, abuse side, here's what abuse people have done. They have just recoiled from the unbiblical other extreme. They, they don't even acknowledge it over here, so we'll do this. And, and in this neglect side, they look at the abuse people and think, well, if that's the only alternative, we're going to stay over here. And both are equally as unbiblical, right? The Holy Spirit is God. We would do well to get to know him, right? To invite him in, right? I mean, we would do well to move in that direction. Okay, so with that said, we've got two commands. He starts out with, and here's going to kind of be the flow of this talk, by the way. We're going to talk about what it means to be filled with the Spirit, then what that looks like in your life, and then thirdly, how, how, we, how we can move into that, how we can get more of the Spirit in our life. Okay, so that, that's the general kind of headings here. So, okay, first thing off the top here is what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? He gives us two commands. Look at verse 18. Two commands go like this. Command one, don't get drunk with wine. Command two, be filled with the Spirit. Okay, those are the two commands. Okay, now command one over here is not the primary command. Command one, don't get drunk with wine, is not the point of the passage. It's an illustration to help us see the point of the passage. But he does tell us something there. 
although alcohol is not the issue here, he tells us something about alcohol. So I think we need to heed what Paul's saying here. Paul's words are, do not get drunk. Really clear command, right? Okay, so I think we need to hear and, and kind of work through just a little bit of this because there's all sorts of crazy stuff in the Bible about when it comes to this idea. Okay, so there's some of us in here who we get drunk. Paul is saying that's sinful. If you drink, not to drink a drink, but to drink 10 drinks, it's sinful, right? This is a clear command. Don't get drunk. It's not a God-honoring thing. When you get drunk, you lose control, right? I lived in a fraternity house for three years. A loss of control is what I saw, right? Okay, he's saying don't, don't do that. That's debauchery. Don't, that's sin. Don't do that. Okay, so that's, that's this side. Then you've got people in here who, who do not drink. Okay, now I think you need to hear this side of things if you're that person in here. For, for this group in here, you need to hear that the Bible and Paul does not say don't drink. It says don't get drunk. Okay, so, so here's all I'm saying to this group of people in, in here. Is that you've got to be okay with where the Bible leaves it. See, here's what we all like. We all love to create laws and then have other people live by them, right? Okay, so, so here's what the natural tendency in, in all of us that likes to create laws. Do this and don't do that. What we always like to do or what we naturally like to do is just start creating laws for other people. And so here becomes our law. It's um, faith in Jesus plus no alcohol equals salvation. We just knocked Jesus out of being saved. Jesus is no longer Christian in that equation, right? Okay, so here's all I'm saying is we've got to be okay with where the Bible leaves it. Here's where the Bible leaves it. It leaves it with wisdom and conscience. Are you okay with letting the Holy Spirit work that into somebody else? You know? And so we've got to be okay with that. Okay, now here's the other side. There's some of you in here who you drink casually. And you need to hear this. Drunkenness is a sin. You better use wisdom and caution. And you better consult your conscience a lot, right? A lot. Wisdom will always value its witness over wine, right? And so you just, I, I, it's not saying there's no place in the Bible. I can't go to the Bible and say, do not do it. I can go here and say this though. All of us need to use, if you're in this camp, you need to use your conscience and you need to use wisdom. You need to make sure there's people speaking into that that see you in those situations, right? So he's saying, don't get drunk. That's the command. Really clear command. Okay, then he's going to go on and he's going to say this. Here's the second command. The primary point of the passage goes like this. Be filled with the Spirit. Okay, that's the point of the passage. Okay, now again, there is all sorts of confusion. So let me just try to lay this out as simple as I can to describe what, what the, an experience with the Spirit, what this looks like through the life of a Christian. Okay, so let's start with conversion. When a person is saved, they place their faith in Jesus Christ. They trust him and treasure him. The gospel lands on them. The Holy Spirit takes it to them. It lands on them and changes them. When they are converted, when a person is changed, saved, converted, at that moment, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in them. You can look at Ephesians um, 1.13. It says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes up permanent residence. It stamps, it, it's kind of sign on you and approves you. It seals you. 
Okay, th- this is the work of the Holy Spirit at conversion. It moves in, takes up residence within you. Okay, now from that point forward, the Bible used this terminology of being filled with the Spirit, right? Okay, now that comes in two different ways in the life of a believer. And it's really important that you kind of follow here and think with me here. Way number one goes like this. There are times that the Holy Spirit lays hold of people in just really, I, I'm going to say, abnormal sort of ways, right? That it, this isn't a constant thing, and it's a more extraordinary thing, okay? Where the Holy Spirit gives divine enablement, divine just kind of power to accomplish certain tasks in certain times. Okay, now if you just start reading through the Old Testament, you see this all the time in the Old Testament. Okay, you see um, Samson. Y'all remember that story? Judges 15, Samson is, is bound. His own people give him over. He's bound with two ropes, new ropes. Okay, this guy's in trouble. They're giving him over to the foreign army to have their way with him. All of a sudden, the, the Bible says the spirit rushes upon Samson. He breaks the ropes and he grabs the jawbone of a donkey, right? He doesn't kill one person with it. I would consider that a feat, you know? Somebody's trying to kill you. You kill him with the jawbone of a donkey. I'm giving you a medal, something, right? Okay, he doesn't kill one, per, two, per, ten people, a hundred people. The Bible says he killed a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey. Is that a little abnormal to you? I mean, I can't imagine a thousand people running at me and saying, just give me the jawbone, right? <laughs> I'm asking for bombs right there, calling the air support, right? A jawbone of the donkey, and that, that goes down, right? Okay, so th- this is the divine enablement for a specific time, for a specific task. You see this in um, 1 Samuel 11 with Saul. He's divinely endowed to lead the people of Israel into battle, to be their commander, right? You see that with David. He's divinely endowed to be the king of Israel. You get this all throughout the Old Testament, and you get it in the New Testament. You start reading through the book of Acts, and you see the Holy Spirit show up in some extraordinary ways. This is more extraordinary in nature, less consistent in nature. So he falls on them at Pentecost and craziness breaks out, right? I mean, they are speaking with power and it's not an uncontrolled craziness. Let me redefine that. It's not a lack of control. When the Holy Spirit impacts a person, he, that person is under full control, right? That's the difference between alcohol and the Holy Spirit. Alcohol, you lose control. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is you gain control, right? That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5. Okay, so you get this in Acts where people are divinely endowed for specific tasks, for specific times. Divinely endowed to suffer boldly, to speak boldly, to serve effectively. You get this specific enablement of the Spirit to do these things in them. Okay, so you see this all throughout the book of Acts. Um, Acts 2, you see it where, where the Holy Spirit falls, they speak boldly. In Acts 6, one of my favorite couple chapters in the Bible, you've got Stephen. It says he's full of grace and power in Acts 6. And then he's, he's doing all these wonders and signs, it says. And then he's speaking boldly. Like they can't refute what he's saying. And then all of a sudden they drag him out to the side of town and they stone him to death. Remember that? So, so he's, divine, he's divinely empowered for service. He's speaking, doing signs and wonders and then divinely um, enabled for suffering. Into that story, he gets stoned to death on the outskirts of town. You remember his last words? God forgive them. Isn't that something? Divinely endowed for suffering. Just severe moments of suffering. Okay, now that is more extraordinary, less consistent. Okay, now then you've got the other... That's, by the way, that's not what Ephesians 5 is talking about. That's not the... the 
the picture of Ephesians 5. The second way you can be filled with the Spirit, and this is what Ephesians 5 is talking about. It is talking about the continu- this is more continual, less extraordinary. So Ephesians 5 is talking about a continual controlling power of the Holy Spirit over your life. A, a continual influence. It holds continual sway over you, moves you, compels you, forms you into the image of Jesus. It's a continual thing, less extraordinary, more continual. This is the idea in Ephesians 5. Less extraordinary, just a continual basis where the Holy Spirit is working and moving in you. And this is why he uses, be fi- or don't get drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. It's this contrasting image. And he's using wine to show us, or drunkenness to show us what it means to be filled by the Spirit. When you think of, an, of a drunk, they are under the influence, right? That's what we call them, under the influence. And what he's talking about with being filled with the Spirit is being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He lays sway over you, forms your heart to feel like such a way, forms your desires to hope for certain things, that the Holy Spirit lays such sway over you that he forms you into the image of Jesus. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5. Okay, so just look at the grammar here. The grammar is, um, it is a present tense verb. It's a continuous thing. Okay, this is the idea. It's continual. It's a command. This is something we do, right? And this is what I love about it. It's plural. It's not just individual. He's looking at the church and saying, you are to be filled with the Spirit. You are to be. So as a church, as a corporate body of people, we are to be the type of people under the controlling influence, the sway, the Holy Spirit saturates, permeates everything we're doing. This is the idea. Paul is saying, church, Stonegate, 2,000 years later, Stonegate, be under the control of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit shapes you to look like Jesus. So let me ask you the question, are you there? Is the Holy Spirit got that sort of control over you, influence over you, or are you hiding little dark corners of your life from his control, right? Okay, this is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Okay, now the next three or four verses, they show us what it looks like to be filled by the Spirit. And we're going to try to cover these quickly, but look at these four things that, that these next couple of verses show us about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. People who are filled with the Spirit look like this. Okay, look at verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, when I first read that, I'm thinking, oh no right? I mean, does that mean like I stop talking and just start singing? Like, Laura, I'm going out to mow is now a song, right? This is going to go bad. If you're like me, when you start singing, people call the police, right? Okay, so so this is not going to go well for me. That's not what it means. Here's what it means to, to have the Spirit controlling you, influencing you in such a way that it shows itself. It means that we speak the gospel to one another. That's what it means, that we are addressing one another with gospel truth. Now, part of that is our corporate singing in here. When we just sang in here, here's what just happened. We are singing gospel truths to God and to one another. So, so it is partly singing. It is partly doing songs. It is partly the people of God joining and singing to God and to one another gospel truths. But it's more than that. It's okay. It it moves below singing into your speech where your speech is flavored with the gospel. 
This is the first mark of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. That your speech is so flavored with the gospel. This is it. Okay, so the Holy Spirit makes Jesus look so beautiful, so compelling, the gospel so glorious that when people just kind of bump into you, they run into you, they slide into you, the overflow of the Spirit in you, making the gospel beautiful, just comes out of you in speech. This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. This is what it looks like. I love how one pastor put it. He said, when when we're filled with the Spirit, we commend God to one another. We commend God to one another. So we actively tell people. And it's not like we're preaching monologues, right? It's not like we pull up the pulpit in a guy's house and say, give me 30 minutes. That's not the picture. It is in casual conversation. We are speaking gospel to one another. We are commending God to one another. And listen, we need that from each other, right? We need that. If you think of the last week of your life, The images that you've seen, billboards, advertisements that you've seen, um, commercials that you've seen. When you think of all of those things of the last week of your life, you have been commended by the world a thousand messages. You have been promised by the world a thousand things that that it's saying, this will satisfy you. This will make you happy, right? Right? You just get into this, a little more success, another dollar, another this, and a little more of that. If you can just get this, then you'll have it. Just a new car, bigger house, a nice, if you'll just get this, then you've got happiness. We're all, and you know what? We believe that to some degree. And so we need the people of God to remind us that God is everything. The gospel is it. It gives us everything we need for life and godliness, life and death. Gives us everything we need, right? This is what, this is what we're to be to one another. We're to commend God to one another. This is the first mark of the Spirit. So let me just ask you this question. Is your speech flavored with the gospel? Is it flavored with the gospel? Just your normal, everyday speech. The Holy, you know what the role of the Holy Spirit is in your life? The role of the Holy Spirit is never to be front and central. The, the, the role of the Holy Spirit, I, like how, I love how J.R. Packer says it. He says it's a floodlight ministry. It shines a light on God and makes him look glorious. So that your life, your heart believes it, knows it, lives in it. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit does that, when it fills us, makes God look glorious, it comes out in a thousand different ways. Now let me get real practical and we'll keep moving here. Um, I spent three hours with a guy on Thursday or on Friday. And, and here, God just reminded me of this on Friday as I'm talking to him. That people all around your life need God commended to them. Need the gospel spoken to them. I'm telling you, this was a broken man with circumstances and situations in his life. And for three hours, I, didn't even, I don't have to say a lot. I mean, there's so much just there was sitting, Right? But, but in a three-hour span, just getting to affirm that God is sovereign, that he is faithful to you, that he is good. You don't have to look other places, even if other people do. That he is great, that he is gracious. Just affirming these gospel truths. I mean, for him, that, that was a massive moment. And listen, I need that from you. And you need that from me. And we need that from each other. People just reminding us, of God is great. All these gospel truths that through the gospel God promises us. We've got to be people who remind each other of that. This is the mark of the Holy Spirit on your life. Okay, let's keep reading here. 
he goes on to say, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Then he says this, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Okay, so, so here's the idea. First thing is when you've got the Holy Spirit, you commend God to him. You speak the gospel. Second thing goes like this. You become a good worshiper of God. You become a good worshiper, right? Our life becomes worship. Okay, now, now follow this. It is life and lips, both of them. Let, let's take lips first. There is an obvious undertow of music in here, right? I mean, for, for even those of us who are very unskilled with the music, we can see by reading this passage, obvious undertow of music, singing, making melody. That's what you call music, right? Okay, so, so we are in on the music side of this. So part of worshiping is music. It is singing, right? It is expressing to God from your heart worship, right? In, in song, that is part of it. Okay, now for those of us who do not like to sing, I think we need to hear this because here's what is really easy to happen. I'll never forget this moment of, uh, of being, I was at the front of an auditorium about to speak and I was just watching them worship, right? And I was probably a thousand people worshiping and I could not get over how many of them were blankly staring at a screen. I mean, it, rather than worshiping, they're watching it go down, Right? And this is our curse. And especially for those of us in here who are more heady than hardy, right? I mean, especially for those of us who lean that way. Some of us wear a lack of expression, a lack of emotion like a badge of honor. I haven't cried since I was two years old. Like God's impressed, right? He's not. He's not impressed. Okay, when the Holy Spirit fills you, listen to this. When the Holy Spirit fills you, he gets more than your head. He also gets your heart. And when God has got your heart, this is what Paul is saying. When God has got your heart, it is expressed in emotive language, a.k.a. song. It's expressed that way. That there are some times that, that the way you feel cannot be expressed with words. Words run out, so it turns to song. And if that is not happening, if you are the stick man, right? If you're that person, that's a, that's a heart issue. That's a heart issue. Paul's saying that it might have your head, but it doesn't have your heart yet. Okay, so it, it's lips, but then it's also life. Now here's for the song people. Here comes your blow here, right? Okay, for the song people, it's not just your lips. It's also your life, right? Worship is not just a 30-minute event where we come in here and sing. It is an all-of-life event. Worship of God is in every attitude of our heart and action of our life. It is expressing extreme and supreme worth to God. That is worship. Worship in your life. Here's what it does. It melds together the sacred and the secular. There, there is no longer like God's things and my things. Worship in life, there's no longer like this little segment God can have. I'll give him this 10%. Then I'll get kind of this is mine. It, it melds together all of that. Worship in life. And this is what worship is. It's more than a song. It is the continuous actions and attitudes of your life as we express supreme worship and worship to God. That's what worship is. And so worship is seen in a thousand different ways. It is seen not just in how we sing, but how we give. It is seen not just in how we sing, but how we love in our marriages. That's coming in a couple of weeks, right? Okay, it's seen not just in how we sing, but it is seen in the way we speak truth. 
Ephesians 4.25. It's, it's seen in the way we speak redemptively to people. It's seen in the way um, we put off sexual immorality and, and we live pure lives. It's seen in all these different ways. Worship is all of life. God is supremely valuable. That's worship. So let me ask you the question. If you're filled with the Spirit, the constant sway of the Spirit over your life, this is what your life looks like. Worship with life and lips. Does God, okay, so let me, maybe I could ask it this way. Does God have control? Are you expressing supreme value to God in every area of your life? Every area. Financials, marriage, parenting, business, every, recreate, every area, supreme worth to God. Does that shine through in every area? Okay, that's the second mark of the Spirit. Here's the third one. Look at verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, this one's going to get a little bit tougher here, right? Um, When we are filled with the Spirit, we are thankful people. Thankful people. So let me just start off with the question, are you a thankful person? If there is one way that I think the people of God can stand distinctly different um, from the world, it is in this. Here's what the world tries to convince us of, right? I mean, this is the, the mantra of the world. You have the inalienable right to a life of comfort and convenience. That is what the world convinces you of, right? That you have the inalienable right to have a life pain-free, comfortable, convenient, nice, neat, secure. You have the inalienable right for that. Now, let me ask you the question. Do you believe that? Because if you do, it will make it impossible to be thankful. And and here's what I've seen. Most people who would say verbally that I do not believe that practically live as if they do. Okay, so when loss happens, when pain comes, when the cushions of life are stripped from us, here's what happens when we practically live this way. We hold our fist up to God as if he has betrayed us right? As if he has promised us a life of comfort, cushions, and convenience. Okay, now now, now I want to speak this just as tenderly as I can. I want to prepare us for for our future. God has not promised us that. God has not promised us pain-free, comfort, comfortable lives. He's not done that. As a matter of fact, I think if you just look at the world and the Bible, the exact opposite of that is more you, you get the picture here. Now, now look at what he says here in this verse. He says, always and for everything. Now, Paul is not saying that you have to sit around thanking God for evil. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying this, that we, because we have a sovereign God that is a good God, That we, as we're sustained by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, under the control of the Spirit, we can know and believe and rest in the fact that God is good and that He's sovereign. That although this stuff is happening to us, that God has not abandoned us, He has not left us, but He is in the shadows working for our good. 
We can affirm with Joseph in Genesis that what, what you meant for evil, all this evil around us, what you meant for evil, God is working in and turning for good. We can affirm with Paul in Romans 8, right? That God works all things out for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. This is what it means to be filled by the Spirit that even in the midst of difficult seasons, we have an awareness that they're not just difficult, they are sanctifying seasons. Seasons where the Holy Spirit and God are pressing on us, working on us to conform us into the image of Christ. Okay, now listen, if your agenda for life, if you have bought into my inalienable right is to be comfortable, if you've bought into that, this is impossible because your agenda and God's agenda are too different. I mean, they're different things. God's agenda for your life is to make you look like Jesus. And if your agenda is something else, then when difficulty happens, you're going to hold your fist up and act like he's betrayed you. But when your agenda for your life matches what the Spirit's agenda for your life is, the Spirit becomes this controlling, sustaining influence in the midst of great difficulty. Listen, all the great saints of old, they thanked God as much for their pain as they did their pleasure. I'll say that one more time. The greatest people in history, biblical history, they have thanked God as much for their pain as they did their pleasure. Charles Spurgeon, I've got a couple of quotes here. Charles Spurgeon, he said this. He, he had a ton of physical ailments. And he said this about them. Health is a gift from God, but sickness is a gift greater still. What would make a guy say that? I mean, maybe it's this idea that he knows that every uh, sickness is a sanctifying sickness to make us more like Jesus. And so maybe he knew that when he was comfortable, he would never pray desperately like he did when he was sick, right? Uh, Maurice Roberts, a pastor in Scotland, he says this about um, suffering and, and afflictions. He says, God sent afflictions have a health giving effect on the soul because they are the medicine used to purge the soul of self-centeredness and to purge the soul of the world's vanities. Isn't that true? That God uses difficult seasons, these sanctifying seasons to purge us of self-centeredness. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Joni Erickson Tata. Um, she's, I think, 60 now, right at 60. And um, when she was 17, she dove into a lake. Um, it was shallow. She broke her neck and instantly was paralyzed from the neck down. 17 years old. Now, she said this about being paralyzed. I look back at that particular day and I see it as a gift from God because I know that one day, and this is the sanctifying season right here. This is what the, the Spirit does. It sustains us in the middle of this. She says, because I know that one day I will enjoy a new body in a new world. Those are gospel promises. And I will have new legs and one day I'll dance with God. But what God has done in the meantime is prepare me for that day by helping me see him in ways that I would have never seen him apart from being paralyzed. A sanctifying season, right? And see, if our agenda is different from God's, then we'll shake our fist at him. But when our agenda lines up with, God, make me like Jesus regardless, then the Holy Spirit becomes this, this sustaining, stabilizing force in our life, right? Where we can be thankful in the midst of pain and pleasure, knowing that God's at work in both of those for our good and his glory. Okay, last look of the Holy Spirit here, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. 
Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. People who are filled with the Holy Spirit, they are humbly serving those around them. People filled with the Spirit. This is what they do. This is what it looks like. They humbly serve those around them. So let me just ask you the question. Would your life be characterized by humble service? If we're filled with, if the Spirit is controlling us, prompting us, nudging us, and we're obeying, it will be. Is your life characterized by humble service? Christians should be the most service-oriented, willing-to-be-inconvenienced people on the planet, right? Because we know this, 1 John 3, 16, that he died for us. 1 John 3, 16. And because that, we, we know this love, he died for us. And because of that, we can lay our life down for other people. We can humbly give our life away to other people. This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit, that we are living in such a way that we are giving life to everyone around us. That that we are living in such a way that our ethic, our, our kind of pattern of life is not take, but the pattern of our life is give. Humbly serving. Teenagers. Does this characterize your life? In your home. Humble service. Daddies. Does characterize you? Is this what you look like? Humble service? Wives. This is what the Holy Spirit looks like in you. As it has sway and control and permeates and saturates your life and heart, it looks like it comes out in humble service. Okay, now we'll answer the last question in just a minute or two here and and be done. Last question is, how do we gain more of that? we, We would all say we want those things, right? I mean, we, we want to be people who commend God to one another, proclaim the gospel to one another. We want to be people who are thankful. We want those. How, how do we get them? Okay, here's the problem. Is you can't directly do it. That's encouraging, isn't it? Right? Okay, be filled with the Spirit. It's a passive verb. Take you back to, to grammar here. That means that somebody else is the active agent. We are the recipients of it. So to be filled with the Spirit, we are dependent upon God to do that. Okay, so the question becomes, how, how do we do that? How do we position ourselves to be able to be filled with the Spirit? This consistent and continual sway of the Spirit over our life. I want to give you two thoughts, and we'll kind of close it with this. The way you get more of the Spirit in your life is just through the normal duties and disciplines of being a Christian. Primarily the intake of the Word of God in your life. Flip over to Colossians, two books over, Colossians 3. The way you get more of the Spirit is through the normal disciplines, through reading the Word, knowing the Word. If you don't know the Word, you're not going to have much of the Spirit. Colossians and Ephesians are like brothers in the Bible, right? Okay, so, so there's overlap. They're ba- I mean, a lot of them, if you just start reading Colossians and Ephesians, you'll see direct similarities. Like Paul, Paul's like working from the same manuscript here, right? Okay, now... Colossians 3, 16 is the equivalent to Ephesians 5, um, this 18, 19, 20, right in through here. It's the same passage in different books, okay? Here's what it says in Colossians. Now notice that in Ephesians it says, be filled with the Spirit. This is the command. Okay, in Colossians, here's what it says. Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You see the connection there? If you want the Spirit of God in your life, 
showing itself in thankfulness, commending God to one. If you want it to show in your life, here's how you get it. You get it by getting in the Word, waking up tomorrow, opening up your Word, and reading the Bible, asking good questions over what you're reading, thinking about the Scriptures, meditating on the Scriptures, memorizing the Scriptures. The more you let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, the more the Spirit of God's going to have sway and control over your life. So let me just make this plea with you. Be people who know your Bible. Don't depend on me to know your Bible. Don't depend on them to know your Bible. You know your Bible. You've got the Holy Spirit and you've got the Bible. That's what you need. Know your word. It's in the daily disciplines, the daily duties of being a Christian. This is how you get more of the Spirit. The more the word you have, the more the Spirit you have. So know your Bible, right? Let's be people. Daddies, be people who know your Bible. Mamas, be people who know your Bibles. Speak the Bible in your home. Speak it over your kids. Commend the Bible over your kids. Be people who know your word. That's number one. Number two, and we'll finish with this. Second way is just real simple, okay? Like, it's really easy to overcomplicate this one. Listen and obey the Spirit in your life. If you're a Christian in this room, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit speaks to you. I told you we're weird people, right? The Holy Spirit speaks to you through promptings, through nudgings, right? The Holy Spirit convicts you. The Holy Spirit leads you, guides you. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Now, here's our problem. We don't listen very well. We've got our life so busy with a thousand, at the end of the day, meaningless things that we don't listen to the Spirit. Now, in biblical language, this would be called quenching the Spirit. The Holy Spirit starts a fire in your heart through just little conversation. And then we throw water on it. That's quenching the Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5. We are called to listen to it. And so when the Holy Spirit speaks, call that person, right? I mean, when the Holy Spirit speaks, pray for them. Text them. Email them. Send them a note to encourage them. Identify evidences of grace and let them know that you're seeing where God's at work in them. When the Holy Spirit prompts you to do something, do it. Don't, I mean, just do it, right? I, Laura, it was so funny on, uh, I think it was like Thursday, Laura um, called her mom. Her mom was in Home Depot. Her mom does not belong in Home Depot. All right, I'm just gonna say that right now. She was picking out a light fixture for their kitchen. And Laura said, why don't you just get a light bulb and uh, we'll, we'll come help you pick one out when we get there. She's, and Laura's mom <laughs> responded back. So you think I can't pick out a light fixture? And basically, Laura said, yeah, I don't think you can. Okay, and that's where the conversation ended. Now, now, this was so funny. We got in the car, we were going somewhere, and she said, man, I think I need to call my mom. I said, yep, you're probably right. And so she, I mean, the Holy Spirit prompts her, so she obeys, and she listens, listens, and obeys it. We have got to be people who listen and obey the Holy Spirit. Okay, now, can you imagine what this place would look like if we did that? Can you imagine that? What this place would look like if we listened and obeyed. Last night, we had a 4th of July little family get-together here. I loved it. I mean, we just sit around, watch kids do bounce out. I mean, we didn't do a whole lot. We just got to hang out with one another. And this is what I love seeing. People who um, a year ago did not know each other. 
sitting down over hot dogs, right? And baked beans. Watching fireworks together. Watching them interact and love on each other. Now, now look at this. Think about what we miss when we don't listen and obey. I mean, just think about if a year and a half ago when the Holy Spirit prompts and leads, start a church. What if we are too busy and didn't really want to? Think what would be missed. And think what is missed in our life when we just don't listen. Just busyness crowds it out when we don't obey, right? When we grieve the Holy Spirit, we just say no to it. And think about what we could see in the future as we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we listen and obey His voice, right? Let's pray. So let me, let me just ask you the question this morning. How's the Holy Spirit working in you? I mean, what, what, in just daily life, what, what, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Now listen, if the Holy Spirit is not speaking, I mean, th- there are seasons that are dry in life, no question. But, but chances are, if you're not hearing the voice of God in your life, it's because you're just crowded it out. The, there's just the white sack, the noise in your life is too loud. So, so what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Like, like, where is it that he is saying, don't do that and do this? I mean, where's the Holy Spirit saying to you, be, this is what you are in the gospel, so be this, live this. I mean, where's the Holy Spirit convicting you over patterns and habits and sinful tendencies in your heart and life? And and here's what I want to just end by just pleading with you to repent of it. This is the beauty of the gospel, repentance. And so if there's areas where the Holy Spirit is cranking on you this morning, maybe you are an ungrateful person. You always have to have something else to be thankful. I mean, you always need one more thing so you can be thankful, right? That that life around the house is not fun because you're not thankful. You always need something. Maybe we just need to repent this morning and say, God, show me, help me see that you're everything I need to be thankful I mean, maybe you've grown cynical, right? Just jaded. I mean, daddies, wh- where does the Holy Spirit need to shape you into the sort of husband and, and daddy that you need to be? Mamas, wh- where's the Holy Spirit prying on you? This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. We're under the constant sway. When we get out of line, the gospel, or the Holy Spirit through the gospel speaks to us to bring us back in. So, so where is it that you're staying out of line, right? Staying out of step with the Spirit. And what a great morning just to be able to repent of those areas. That that we are just not living in the gospel. And so they're going to play and and we'll just kind of open this up. If you want to come down, you feel free. If you want to sit in your seat, maybe just need to kneel where you are and get low before God. And just say, God, will you make me into this? I pray the Holy Spirit would continue to convict and work. God, work repentance in me. I pray that for you. I pray that we would be people with an open ear and an obedient heart. God, we love you. And God, we thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our life that makes you look beautiful to us, that makes the gospel a treasure to us. 
And God, I pray for areas where we're not seeing it right now. God, that you'd be gracious to us this morning. God, that you would cause repentance in our heart this morning. God, God, that we would repent of sin and we would run to you, our great Savior. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand with us?